This morning we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 2, entitled Daksha Curses Lord Shiva. This is text number 20. Vignay Shapam Girishanu Gagaranayar. Nandishvara Rosha Kushaya Dushtita Dakshaya Shapam Vishasharja Darunam Yechan Vamodam Stad Avachyatam Dvija Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. Upon understanding that Lord Shiva had been cursed, Nandishwara, one of Lord Shiva's principal associates, became greatly angry. His eyes became red, and he prepared to curse Daksha and all the Brahmanas present there who had tolerated Daksha's cursing Shiva in harsh words. There is a long-standing dissension among some of the neophyte Vaishnavas and Shaivites. They are always at loggerheads. When Daksha cursed Lord Shiva in harsh words, some of the Brahmins present might have enjoyed it because some Brahmanas do not very much admire Lord Shiva. This is due to their ignorance of Lord Shiva's position. Nandishwara was affected by the cursing, but he did not follow the example of Lord Shiva, who was also present there. Although Lord Shiva could also have cursed Daksha in a similar way, he was silent and tolerant. But Nandishwara, his follower, was not so tolerant. Of course, as a follower, it was right for him not to tolerate an insult to his master. But he should not have cursed the Brahmanas who were present. The entire issue was so complicated that those who are not strong enough forget their position and thus cursing and counter-cursing went on in that great assembly. In other words, the material field is so unsteady that even personalities like Nandishwara, Daksha, and many of the Brahmanas' presence were infected by the atmosphere of anger. So in this chapter of the great Grantara Srimad Bhagavatam. We hear in particular uh, of Daksha's cursing Lord Mahadev or Lord Shiva. And in this particular verse today, we hear how the very devoted servant of Lord Shiva, Nandishwara, He's the bull carrier of, of Lord Shiva. He became extremely angry hearing this blasphemy of his Lord. Uh, the servant of the Master is almost as famous as the Master himself. When you go to any Shiva temple, you always see, near the Shiva Lingam, you always see the Nandi the bull. They're meditating on his Master, his beloved Lord, his Ishtadev. So Nandishwari became very angry. Very angry. 
And Prabhupada points out very early in the purport, this is not inappropriate. Although we hear that anger is one of the three gates leading to hell. Lust, anger, and greed. Gita states are the three gates leading to hell. It's true in the material sense. But in the transcendental sense, in the spiritual sense, anger can also be employed in the service of the Lord. Anger can also be purified. It is actually one of the spiritual emotions. All the emotions that we feel in this world are perverted reflections of the emotions from the spiritual world. Prabhupada said all the emotions we have here are also there in Vaikuntha, there in Goloka, except for one, which is envy. So anger can also be used in the service of the Lord. Otherwise, how is it that Arjuna fought so strongly on the battlefield of Kurukshetra? Prabhupada said, you never see a picture of Arjuna with a bead bag on the battlefield. He has his sword and he's chopping, chopping, chopping. You can only do that if you're getting in the angry. But angry for what? For the, in the service of Krishna. And anger will be there. If the Lord or the devotee of the Lord is offended, a Vaishnava will become angry because of his love. Because he loves the Lord, because he loves the spiritual master, because he loves the other Vaishnavas, if they're ridiculed or made fun of or offended, the nature of love is that you become angry. A very mundane example is (laughs) a boy and a girl are walking down the street and some other boy comes and says something bad about the girl. If the boy doesn't become angry and protect the girl, it just shows he doesn't really love her very much. She turns to him, why, why, aren't you going to say something? Don't you love me? <laughs> so this anger is actually a sign of love. When, one beca- when, when a, the Lord or a devotee is... One time Shri Prabhupada here in India, I don't remember what... It was probably Mumbai. Prabhupada was giving a public lecture and there were tens of thousands of people present at this public lecture and Prabhupada asked for questions at the end as he often did in his public lectures so instead of some gentleman or lady in the audience some hippie at the back long haired dirty hippie he raised his hand and he asked a question, but of course he was so far away that no one could hear him. So Prabhupada said, you come forward and take the microphone. So the hippie came forward, he took the microphone and he challenged Shri Prabhupada. He said, Krishna is not God, I am God! You know how that philosophy, in the 60s it was very rampant because of the drugs and the illusion. <laughs> Prabhupada said, there are two illusions in this world. One is that I am the body at one extreme, and the other extreme is that I am God. <laughs> this is the two big mayas. I am the body, or then you get over that, then you have to get over, oh, I am God. <laughs> so Prabhupada, and the hippie was saying such a way, blaspheming Krishna. Krishna is not God, I am God. 
And Prabhupada became angry. He, he, I heard he was visibly shaking. When Prabhupada became very angry, his lips would twitch. You are not God, he said. You are dog. <laughs> so the hippie began arguing. And there was this argument going on between Prabhupada and the hippie. Like this. And Prabhupada became furious. And he slammed his, You are dog. You are dog. You are not God. Krishna. And Prabhupada became saying, and I was told that many people, they got up and left. And some of them were saying, is that, how, can, how can he, Prabhupada, be a spiritual leader? Because he is so angry. Sadhus are very uh, shanti, 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 very tolerant. <laughs> they were thinking like this. But actually this was glorification of the pure devotee, that for his beloved Krishna, who was being blasphemed, he became very angry. So yes, anger is one of the three gates leading to hell, but if dovetailed in the service of the Lord, it becomes something very glorious. So Nandishwar, he's the bull carrier, the most devoted servant of Shiva, he's becoming so angry that his eyes are becoming red. You see when someone becomes, because the blood vessels come to the eyes, and under the angry, the eyes become very red. So Nandishwar was so angry that his eyes were turning. Uh, probably this is not inappropriate. A devotee will tolerate to the umpteenth degree any offense that is committed to himself. In fact, he will thank the offender. Yes. It is a fact. I am a very low devotee. And you were very kindly pointing out my faults so that I can recognize them, so that I can overcome them, and I can become pure and render some significant service to my guru and Krishna. Thank you so much. <laughs> this is the attitude of an advanced devotee. He will tolerate any offenses to himself. But when another Vaishnava whom he sees only good qualities in, is blasphemed, devotee becomes angry. And if Lord is blasphemed, devotee becomes angry. Now, the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, the nectar of devotion, uh, gives very precise and exact instructions what one should do in such a, in such a situation. If one happens to hear the Lord being blasphemed, or devotee being blasphemed, there's three things, and you should note this down, because this is going on. It's this Kali Yuga, especially. The age of, of uh, quarrel, dispute, hypocrisy. So sometimes devotees are the object of blasphemy, or the Lord. So what should you do? You should do one of three things. You should stand up and you should argue, or you should debate, with the offender and defeat him by debate. That is the gentlemanly way of doing things. If there is some disagreement, then there's, you sit down and you debate. And the loser of the debate becomes the disciple of the person who won the debate. That is Vedic culture. The Digby Jai was traveling all around and he was defeating, defeating, defeating. But if someone defeated him, the big Digby Jai, he would surrender and become the disciple of the person who defeated. Or take his life. But if you're not so expert, a, a Kanishta, 
Adhikari is not so expert. He has faith, but he's not so expert in the scripture. He's not read enough. He has not spoken enough. He has not realized enough. So he may not be able to defeat the offender. A uh, Madhyamadhikari has the faith and he has knowledge of the scripture he can present. Uttamadhikari has full faith and it, no one can defeat him. <laughs> so if the Kanista cannot defeat, then what he should do, he should take a knife and cut out the tongue. That's what it says. I read it <laughs> this morning, just to be sure. <laughs> you take the tongue and you cut. And if you don't have the courage to do that, <laughs> then you should go away. Because by hearing that blasphemy, your consciousness will be contaminated if you are not so strong. Now, let me point out, because there's a court case going on in Russia right now, that we're advocating extremism in our religious views, <laughs> the Bhagavad Gita is seen by somebody there, Tomsk, Russia, as an extremist literature. So let us point out, in case anyone from Tomsk is watching this, we don't actually advocate cutting out the tongue. That is there just to underline the severity of offending the Lord or a Vaishnava. It's not that we should literally take the knife and cut out the tongue. This is to, just for us to understand, really, the seriousness of uh, blasphemy, the Lord or, or, a, or a devotee. In fact, we know that speaking ill of or criticizing, making fun of a devotee of the Lord, like Lord Shiva, is actually one of the ten offenses. Namaparat against the holy names of the Lord. We repeat this every morning. Uh, chanting Hare Krishna is the uh, most important service that we actually have. It is the be all and the end all of our existence. From chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Three miraculous things uh, take place. One is that all the sinful reactions that have been stored up for millions of lifetimes, since time immemorial, a lot of sinful reactions, uh, they're destroyed. What's more, the material desires, which are the root cause of those sinful reactions, the material desires in the heart, they're uprooted and thrown to a distant place. And... The real glory of the holy name is that it awakens prema, love of Krishna from within the heart. This is all uh, attained by attentive chanting. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama. But if one commits offenses to the holy name, then one's progress can be slowed down or um, if it's a very, uh, the offenses of a very serious nature, the progress can be stopped altogether, or one can lose whatever progress one has made. So, along with the positive instruction to chant, there's the we have to avoid the offenses to the holy. And we've discussed this many times together. So every devotee can rattle off the ten offenses very easily, even in his sleep. You can. I have. I had one servant, Sri Pallad. We used to travel together, and 
sometimes I'd, I'd wake up at night and he would be chanting, Gauranga, Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Kadadhar. Everyone chant, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. <laughs> he would go on for minutes, like sometimes 10 or 15 minutes. And then he'd give a lecture. This chanting of Hare Krishna Mahamantra is coming directly in his sleep. <laughs> So sometimes that what you do in the day, if you're focusing, if you're on that, then that you will dream about at night. So devotees, they know these ten offenses backwards and, and, afford, therefore, and they're very careful to uh, avoid them. And we know very well that of all the ten offenses, the very first to uh, blaspheme a devotee who has dedicated his life to spreading the glories of the Lord. This is the most serious, it's Hatimata. It's the mad elephant offense. Uh, when an elephant goes into a, a garden with you know, plants that have been nicely cultivated, then he can destroy everything in a moment. I remember reading that, but I saw a visual example of that very early in my career in Krishna consciousness. We were in Hyderabad, and Prabhupada had, we had accompanied Sridhar Prabhupada to Hyderabad to install the beautiful Radha Krishna deities there. I forget the name, but they're big deities. And in the before the installation process took place, Prabhupada told us to go on Harinam. So Vishnu John Maharaj took us on Harinam in downtown Hyderabad. And I remember the kirtan. It was a very ecstatic kirtan. Going down the road and devotees were jammed. There must have been three, four hundred devotees from America, Europe and Australia and India. Suddenly two bulls appeared. Big bulls. Big white bulls. And they locked horns and they engaged in a battle. They were fighting in the market. And it was a very picturesque, exotic type market you can imagine. And within 10 minutes it was all destroyed. <laughs> we ran for our lives, <laughs> hid behind a building. And I watched these bulls fight. And all the tea stands and the flower stands and everything that was being sold. Those bulls fought and they were bloody and goring and everything was destroyed. And I was reminded of Prabhupada's example that... A bull in a garden destroys everything. So this offense of criticizing or offending a devotee, hatimata, this will destroy your whatever devotional credit you have achieved blaspheming a devotee. One time Sri Prabhupada asked Brahmananda Prabhu, who at the time was Brahmananda Swami, to speak at an initiation ceremony. Prabhupada was initiating some disciples. So he said, um, you speak on the ten offenses. So Brahmananda Swami began speaking, and he was stressing mostly this particular offense of offending those who have dedicated their lives. And he said, this means the spiritual master, because he is the best devotee. So we, we should not offend Sridhar Prabhupada. And Prabhupada interrupted. He said, yes, it means the spiritual master, but it means any devotee, Prabhupada said, he stressed, any devotee who has dedicated his life, he said, even the, the devotee who is washing the pots. So Prabhupada corrected Brahmananda. This means any devotee who's engaged, who's, because anyone who has renounced sense gratification, who's renounced sinful activity, to once again take up the noble service of the Lord, he's very rare. He should be honored. Manushanam sahasri su shidhaye. Even Krishna said at the end of the Pura Yuga, out of many millions upon millions of men, 
perhaps only one will take to transcendental life. And of those who have taken to spiritual life, Krishna says, hardly one understands me in truth. So out of different types of transcendentalists, yogis, jnanis and devotees, all are to be honored because they realize the futility of material existence and they're seeking transcendence. They're rare. They're to be honored. All the, the devotee is to be noted the most. So to offend him is something very serious. But to speak of an exalted devotee like Lord Shiva. The other day someone in Vrindavan, I was speaking about, we were visiting Gopishwar Mahadev, so I was speaking to a group of devotees and one person was listening. He said, but Shiva, he said he's Devata. One person with a poor fund of knowledge is probably with he's, he's just Devata. How is he so exalted? I said, yes, devatas are devotees, they're mixed devotees, but Shiva's not just demigod. He's playing the role of a demigod. Lord Shiva's in a particular category. He's Shiva Tattva. There's Krishna Tattva and Jiva Tattva. There's also Shiva Tattva. Who is Lord Shiva? He is the glance of the Lord personified. When the Lord wants to impregnate the living entities into the material energy, into the material world, we hear how the Lord himself never comes in contact with the material energy. He's always aloof from it. He has no interest in it, other than to maintain it as a playground for the living entities. He's always engaged in his loving pastimes in the spiritual world. But in order to place the living entity, some contact has to be there. His glance, he glances at the material energy, and through the glance of the Lord, the living entities are impregnated into the Mahatattva. So that glance of the Lord personified as Shiva. So you could say, in a sense, he's an expansion of Krishna. He's an expansion. He's a special tattva. He's not Jiva tattva, not Krishna tattva. He's Shiva tattva. And being the, the glance of the Lord, being the expansion of Krishna, he is subservient, just like Balaram. Balaram is the first expansion of the Lord. There's no difference between Krishna and Balaram except the color. But he's the first expansion, so he is subservient. And he takes the position of Krishna's servant. He's elder brother, but he's also the Lord's slippers. He's the Lord's asana. <laughs> he, he himself is the expansion of Sri Vrindavan Dham. Balaram serves the Lord in a subservient way in so many ways. So Shiva is the, is the servant, but he's not just any servant. Lord Shiva is considered by the Srimad Bhagavatam to be the very best servant of Krishna. Nimna ganam yata ganga devanam achuto yata. Vaishnavanam mitasambhu puranamidam tata. Just as the Ganges is the greatest of all rivers, Lord Achuta is supreme amongst uh, all deities. So Lord Sambhu Shiva, he's the greatest of all devotees. Vaishnavanam mitasambhu. And so Srimad Bhagavatam is the greatest of all Puranas. So this is our understanding. So to blaspheme such a devotee of the highest caliber, that is suicidal, spiritual suicide. We have our spiritual life. We talk about spiritual life. So, where there's life, there's the opportunity to take one's life. Suicide 
It's a crazy prospect, but some people entertain that idea. So in our spiritual life, if we want to ruin our spiritual life, there's spiritual suicide. One type of spiritual suicide is to aspire to merge into the Brahman effulgence. <laughs> that Papa calls that spiritual suicide. No opportunity to serve the Lord. Another type of spiritual suicide is to elude all of one's devotional credits by blaspheming a devotee of the caliber of Lord Shiva. He's the greatest devotee. How is he the greatest devotee? What, how does he credit it amongst the devotees? Because in devotional service we always recognize there are devotees who are of lesser stature than ourselves, who have just come to Krishna consciousness. We should be kind to them. There are devotees on the same level of Krishna consciousness as us. We make firm friendship with them. And there's always devotees who are more advanced than, our, than us, and we take shelter of them. They're lotus feet and take their instructions. In any situation, you'll always find a devotee more advanced than yourself. You'll always find devotees of the same caliber, and you'll find devotees less advanced. And we act accordingly. We help those who are less advanced. We make friendship with those who are on the same level and take shelter of those who are more advanced. So we need to recognize who is more advanced. So Shiva is the most advanced devotee. And what is the criteria? How do we accept him? Not just out of sentiment, oh Shastra says, but what is the philosophical understanding? Why is Shiva such a great devotee? Well, Prabhupada said Krishna consciousness can be summarized. Elegance is truth spoken concisely. So we can go on and on how Lord Shiva is so qualified, but how can we summarize? Well, Prabhupada summarizes Krishna consciousness. Always remember Krishna and never forget him. That's a summary. If you're always remembering Krishna and you never forget him, that is Krishna consciousness. Of course, the best way to always remember someone and never forget them is if you love them. <laughs> That's why devotees like Shiva and the gopis and others are so exalted. Uh, they never forget Krishna because they have such deep bhakti for him. Lord Shiva is always meditating on the form of Lord Shankarshan. He's so busy meditating on the form of Lord Shankarshan, he doesn't even have time to, to have a nice griha. <laughs> Uh, he lives under a banyan tree and he appears as a tiagi. And although his wife is Durga, one of her names is Durga, she's in charge of the whole cosmic manifestation, material energy. She has to live <laughs> along with her husband as a tiagi, as a renunciate. <laughs> Lord Shiva is just so busy in his... Just like the Goswamis, they were so immersed in their devotional service to Krishna, so immersed in their love, they didn't even have hardly time to take care of their bodies. They hardly ate, they hardly slept. Prabhupada said they were very skinny and sometimes sickly. So immersed, they didn't take care of themselves. So much engaged in service to, to Radha and Krishna. So Shiva's like that. And his wife Durga, although she's in charge of the material energy, she lives as a renunciate. With a nice angle there so he always remembered Krishna and he never forgets Krishna and he's recognized for his service because he has the thankless task at least in this world to be in charge of the mode of ignorance what a thankless task Lord Shiva is in charge of the mode of goodness Brahma is in charge of the mode of passion and Shiva you, you, you take charge of ignorance 
But this is devotee. Devotee's happy to accept any service that's entrusted to him by his spiritual master or Krishna. Sometimes we we favor. I, I would like to have this service. I like, but any service is given. We're happy. Just like yesterday evening. I suppose you may think that some of the apartments, someone may think, oh, these are the apartments on this level or that level, they're considered better. I don't know. I wasn't thinking like that. But maybe someone should think, oh, I would rather have on this floor rather than that floor, the apartments. But the disciples of Maharaj are so humble and they've been trained so nicely that whatever comes out of the pot, 104, 506, 203, oh, I'm happy. I'm happy because this is the service I can render my Guru Maharaj. I can give a donation to help the wonderful uh, Radha Madan Mohan temple here in Ujjain. They're thinking like that. This is devotee. He's as happy giving a Bhagavatam class. He's happy scrubbing the pots. He's thinking after millions and millions of years with service only to my senses, my selfless, my, my selfish interest. Now after... Billions of years, I have a little seva to the lotus feet of Guru and Krishna. How fortunate I am. I treasure that service of just making a garland, just cleaning the floor. Whatever service it is, it is divine. It is a connection to Guru and Krishna. Devotee takes that service. So here Lord Shiva, he's entrusted with the mode of ignorance. Imagine if your Guru entrusts you to the service, you be in charge of the mode of ignorance. But Guru Maharaj, the motive, <laughs> somebody has to do it. Prabhupada often speaks of Durga's service as a thankless task to keep the living entities bound up here in material existence. For a Vaishnava, like, what? wait a minute, <laughs> I, I want to liberate them. <laughs> well, something needs to be done until they come to their senses. You create the illusion of Maya to keep them here until they become sincere. Then you can release them. Thinking like this. So Shiva, that's his, what a thankless task. But perhaps his most endearing quality, which marks him as the greatest of all Vaishnavas, is Lord Shiva's mood of compassion. Of all of Vaishnavas' qualities, Tatikshiva Krunika Shuridam Sarvadehinam Achuta Shatavashanta Shadava Shadabushanaha Sadava Sadabushana means a devotee who has purified his heart by dint of devotional service. All these amazing qualities, Sadava Sadabushana, he's in a, he's in the embodiment of all good qualities. An advanced devotee, you'll only see good qualities. Tatikshiva Krunika Shuridam Sarvadehinam Tatikshiva is very Tolerant, Karunika, he's very merciful. He sees all living entities as devotees of the Lord. He has no enemies. He thinks of no one as an enemy. He's so exalted. He's in a, the embodiment of all good qualities. What's his most endearing quality? This Karunika, this, this mood of... Um, Compassion. Prabhupada said of Vaishnava, his distress is to see others bereft of this wonderful opportunity of devotional service to the Lord. That's his sadness. He feels genuine sadness to see people forgetful of Krishna. 
And his joy, his only source of happiness in this world, is to see people getting the opportunity of Krishna consciousness. This is how we see happiness and distress. We also experience distress. Our own distress, we just tolerate it. It's something here, something there. It comes and goes. But we feel genuine distress. And we feel happiness when we see people getting the opportunity for devotional service. One time I was asked to take Prabhupada's charter, which his servant had left by mistake. I considered it good fortune. Uh, on the grass, on the lawn at New Mayapur, I was able to take Prabhupada's charter upstairs. I knocked on his door and I walked inside and I didn't wait for an acknowledgement. I just, as a neophyte, I just walked in. And Prabhupada was standing at the window at New Mayapur watching the devotees take prasadam outside. He'd given his address and he'd come back in upstairs and he was watching the devotees taking prasadam. And Prabhupada turned around and I saw tears streaming from his eyes. He said to me, he's speaking, let them take prasad. Prabhupada was so happy. The fourth verse in Guru Vashtakam. The spiritual master is very pleased when he sees the devotees taking Bhagavad prasadam. Why? Because prasadam is prasadam. What does prasadam mean? Prasadam means mercy. There's various types of prasadam. We tend to think only of food as prasadam. But when you get a pat on the head by your, your guru, that's also prasad. When you get a gift from your guru, one time Prabhupada gave me his charter. Excuse me, he gave me his dhoti in London. I was going to France, so he tried to encourage me. He said, preach boldly and have faith in the holy names. He said to me. Then he gave his dhoti. This, this is a gift, he said. He said, a gift from a Vaishnava, he said, it's prasadam. It's a very special thing. So I wore that dhoti for many years. The sannyasis would come through Paris and they'd say, You're a grihasra! What are you wearing a saffron for? I said, Try to take it off. <laughs> Where did you get that? Prabhupada gave me this dhoti. Oh, okay, okay. Can I have it? No. <laughs> That's prasad. So when the, when the Vaishnav sees a conditioned soul has been favored by a devotee, the spiritual master by Krishna receives some prasad which purifies the heart and awakens. He's very happy. So Prabhupada turned around. He saw the devotees. We watch devotees take prasadam all the time. But Prabhupada, when he saw the devotees eating prasadam, he saw the purification. He saw the opportunity for bhakti, for love, for devotion, for Madan Mohan to come back and he was very happy because they were taking with gusto I was watching they were eating <laughs> I was very happy like this so Shiva is the embodiment of compassion wow we, we see him with his three eyes doing his dance of destruction at the end of creation everything is being burned up in the fire <laughs> yes that's one service he has but he because he's in charge of the mode of ignorance he's always surrounded by living entities in the mode of ignorance just like His Holiness Bhakti Churu Maharaj I've noticed that he's always surrounded by loving devotees 
yesterday, everywhere we went, there were 10, 15 brahmacharis. <laughs> yes, I, I couldn't think of enough services for them to do. <laughs> I just... So because he has a pure heart, he's surrounded by devotees with a pure heart. Shiva, he appears externally because he's in the mode of ignorance. He has to take that role. So he, his body is covered with the ashes from the crematorium. He, there's scorpions, there's snakes, his eyes are red, he's angry. But he has a heart of gold. And these living entities like scorpions, snakes, witches hobgoblins, bhutas, all kinds of bhutas. They're all around. They're attracted to him. Birds of a feather flock together. So those in the mode of goodness, brahmanas are always together discussing the shastra. Those in the mode of passion in the battlefield fighting for dharma. The sudras, they're all they're building. The t- Everyone has a nature. They come together. So Shiva's in the mode of ignorance and the bhutas and the ghosts and the witches and the hobgoblins and all these creepy science fiction type creatures come and they're around him and they're feeling good. Zombies, the walking dead, vampires... I don't know if they're really vampires, but they're all there. But what happens? Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Shastukoi, Lava Matra, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva City. Knowingly, as we are performing devotional service, knowingly, hopefully, consciously, or unknowingly, Agyat Sukriti, to perform devotional service even in complete ignorance knowing it's devotional service buying a book, taking prasadam helping a devotee across the street whatever unknowing the result comes so after sustained association with Lord Shiva these Buddhas, these witches these zombies, these vampires they become devotees and where is the proof? the proof it's like when Sridhar Prabhupada went to the Western countries. One time, a reporter asked Prabhupada, uh, Swamiji, could you explain to us this phenomena of what is a hippie? And Prabhupada laughed. He said, you know better than me what is a hippie. <laughs> he said, but I have taken the hippies and made them happies. <laughs> and Sanatana Goswami gives a very nice analogy because sometimes philosophy we can't grasp so analogy is there to make it clear. He gave the analogy as bell metal is changed into gold. This metal is changed into gold by a, a chemical, a like mystical process. So uh, a conditioned soul, a low-born conditioned soul, if he gets proper training in Krishna consciousness and proper diksha by a bona fide spiritual master, he can become a brahmana, devotee of the Lord. You can't take bell metal and turn it into gold. It's very simple. I actually learned the process. I know the way, and if you want, I can tell you, but you have to give all the money to the deities. It's very simple. You can take metal if you're having some difficulties in your household, you need some money, write this down. You take a large jug of mercury, liquid mercury, and you drink it. And in the morning, when you wake up, you pass urine onto the bell metal, it turns to gold. But as they often say in films, don't do this at home. (laughs) Because you have to have some siddhi, some mystic power to drink the mercury and not die within two seconds. It's a poison. But jogis, they had the siddhi, 
which I didn't get that part of the mantra of it. The dream. But it's a miracle. So no less miracle is that Prabhupada went to the western countries, Malaysia Desh, Yavana Desh, and he took the worst of the West. There's nothing in the West really to be so much admired. Wet stool, dry stool. But Prabhupada took the worst of the worst. Just to show the glories of chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Mahaprabhu describes it as a medicine. He's brought the medicine of the Holy Someone is sick, then the doctor, he gives the medicine. Then the medicine, be, if someone finds the cure for cancer someday, that medicine will be glorified. And so will the doctor. So Guranga and Prabhupada are glorified for bringing the medicine of chanting Hare Krishna to the West and saving. So Shiva's like that. All the time he's doing like that. So therefore, he is a the greatest of devotees. One time Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, you can judge the greatness of a devotee by how many devotees he makes. He said, like a touchstone. The touchstone is not something mythological, it's a fact. The Sanatana Goswami did have a touchstone that we call in the West a philosopher's stone. It's not something mythological. There actually exists a stone which you touch it to other objects, they become gold. In fact, there's Shastric reference, I'll have to look, but I had it one time in my notes, that in a, one of our Gaudiya Vaishnava literatures, it mentions that that touchstone, when the, because the story is told by our acharyas, it's not just some Vrindavan lore, it's an actual, was actually explained. That philosopher's stone, when the boy was asked by Sanatana Goswami, I'm assuming all of you know the story, you throw away that touchstone and I'll give you the most valuable thing, which was the Maha Mantra. But he wanted to test. For you should to give up all your material attachments before I bless you with the most valuable thing. Throw it away. So the boy put it in his kurta. And Sanatana Goswami said, no, 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 you have to throw it away. So the boy, there, no, no, throw it. So the boy considered... To get something, you have to give up something to get something better. I'll give up this touchstone for the priceless jewel of chanting Hare Krishna. He threw the touchstone into the lake. The lake is Kusum Sarovara. Now you know, if you want that philosopher's stone, you can go to Kusum Sarovara in your Govardhan Parikama and dive down to the bottom. The problem is in the 1930s, the British were exploring the Rajamandala area, making a map, and they could not determine the depth of Kusum Sarovara with their scientific instruments at that time. They could not, for them it was endless, down, down, down. But better take the real wealth of chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna. So a devotee is like a touchstone. That by coming in contact with the devotee, Bhakti Thakur said, Krishna consciousness is something that is imbibed, imbibed from another devotee. So a great devotee, just by his association, he makes so shivas like that, he makes so many devotees, and he makes them out of the, the ghosts and the hobgoblins and the witches like this.
So, therefore we recognize him as Vaishnavanam Vitasambhu. He's always remembering Krishna, he's never forgetting him. He's always remembering the Lord's desire that the living entities be reclaimed and go back home, back to the uh, Godhead. This is a devotee's mood. One time a devotee said to Prabhupada, Prabhupada, sometimes I feel so bad to see the suffering of the fallen souls in this world. And Prabhupada shot back, Why sometimes? This is our meditation, that we should always be uh, ready to share our good fortune with others, and that's why this is a nice time of the year. This is the time of the marathon, when devotees make an extra effort to go out and distribute books and share good fortune with others. So, to offend such a devotee as Shiva is a very serious thing. By doing so, we lose our devotional credits. One time again, using the example of Brahmananda, at that time Swami, he made a very serious mistake. Very serious, very grave. Still young devotee, so mistakes can be there. He made a very serious mistake. So Prabhupada said to him, I am going to withdraw my mercy from you. Like that. I'm going to withdraw my mercy. And Brahmananda fell on the ground and he told me personally, he was sobbing and crying. He understood the magnitude of such a statement. Because, as Bhaktivinoda Thakur said about his own Guru Maharaj, your mercy is all that I am made of. Whoever we are, whatever we have achieved, whatever we will be able to do in the future, only by the mercy of Guru and Krishna. We should never forget that. And Prabhupada said, I'm going to withdraw my mercy. And Brahmana grabbed Prabhupada and said, No, please, no, no. And he said, All right, but don't make that mistake again. No, I'll never make that mistake again. So we don't want to lose the mercy that we've, that we've gained or that's waiting for us. So but to be very careful about this hatimata, as Daksha has. Of course, there's so many hours and hours we can speak like this. This is a very nice chapter. It's very instructive. What if one does, in a lapse of consciousness or a moment of forgetfulness, offend a devotee? Well, we should overcome our false ego and go to that devotee and ask for forgiveness. And what should the devotee who's been offended do? He should forgive. It's not easy sometimes to ask for forgiveness. And sometimes, because of false ego, it's not easy to forgive. But both those Vaishnavas have to exhibit exemplary behavior. Ask for forgiveness. And if you've been offended and someone, then you can't say, No, I mean, I, you have to forgive. Chanaka Panda says in Niti Shastra, the beauty of a bird is its singing, its sweet notes. The beauty of a woman is her shyness and her chastity. And the beauty of a sadhu is his ability to forgive. But sometimes we may unconsciously offend a devotee and not even know that we should go to that devotee and ask for forgiveness. Just like in 
we're walking, we're stepping on insects, we're doing so many things. We, we may be consciously trying to avoid offenses, but just in the execution of just living in this world, we may make offenses. We may unconsciously offend a devotee and not even be aware of it. Understanding that principle, the way we deal with that is that every day before the day begins, just in case we may have offended a devotee, consciously or unconsciously, we begin our day by offering obeisances to the devotees. Vancha kalpa turubhyascha, kripa sindhubevacha, patitanam bhavanevyo, vaishnavevim. Just to ensure, because this is Hatimata, if even unconsciously, then we offer our respects to all the Vaishnavas. Raghunath Das Goswami was the best example that he literally bowed down to 10,000 Vaishnavas a day. He set the perfect example of renunciation, um, Vaishnav etiquette, chanting the holy names. So he was offering obeisances. So in essence, this is what we're doing. We begin the day like that. Let's be very careful not to commit any offenses. Let's uh, avoid that because devotees... Why are devotees so exalted? Because they're very dear to the Lord. And if we want to make advancement, we have to understand that we can't offend what is dear to the Lord. Rather, we should always be glorifying the devotees of the Lord. When the Lord hears His devotees glorified, He's uh, very kind to the glorifier. Love me, love my dog. Prabhupada used that Western analogy. And then our path home will be very, uh, it will be assured and it will be very smooth. Sometimes we see devotees, they just seem to glide through the process of devotional service. And others are struggling, so we can analyze why. Because devotees are aware of all these subtleties of devotional service by very carefully studying, reading these such chapters in Srimad Bhagavatam. Prabhupada said, my only complaint, he loved his disciples very much, but he was, being the master, he would point out our faults, our weaknesses. He said, my only complaint is my disciples don't read my books. And if we read the books, we'll see these signs along the road and know how to act accordingly. Grantara Shimad Bhagavatam Ki O Premanandi Hare Krishna